Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast about what two currently bald pastors in southern New Mexico are learning in the trenches of church revitalization. My name is Matt Hensley. I'm the pastor of Mayhill Baptist Church and managing editor of Lifeway Pastors, and I'm joined by... I am Kyle Bierman, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, New Mexico, and director of Replanter Development for the North American Mission Board. And we together bring a combined, I think we decided it's now 33 years. I think that's right. Of we passed a ministry failures passed an to the table to encourage you what not to do. Yep. And we're grateful for the opportunity to pull this together with the help of the CSB, the Christian right. Standard Bible, the true and greater ESV. Right? Sure. We, is that fair? Yeah, let's go with that. Is sure. That, let's hey, go with that. We, Last, we, we were both former US or ESV users, yeah. right, and switched over to CSB yeah. before we were paid to say that. So that, yes. That's very true. Yeah. And uh, we're grateful for a translation that is readable and accurate and encourage you to check out csbible.com after the that's show. Right. But enough of all of those shenanigans. Uh, we we have a special guest today, yeah. I believe. We have a real doctor. A real um, doctor, yeah. yes. <laughs> he did not get his from Rockbridge. No. He did not get his by making a dissertation on <laughs> Dr. Seuss. No, he did not. Who is it? Today we are joined by Dr. Jamie Dew, the president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. So Dr. Dew, welcome to the show. Um, and we, we appreciate your bravery for coming on and, uh, and taking the time to be with us today. Oh man, thanks for having me. You guys are great. You're hilarious. I love, uh, love what you're doing. And I am just for the record, certainly still not the kind of doctor that can do you any good. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, that makes two of us. Okay. We're on the same page there. Um, well, so first of all, just tell us about who you are and about your family yeah. and, and then maybe sure. just a little bit about how you found yourself in New Orleans uh, here a couple of months ago. Sure, I appreciate it. So uh, I've been married for almost 19 years now. This December will be 19 years to my lovely wife, Tara Dew, and she is also uh, uh, Dr. Dew. She has a, a doctor of education. She studied pastor's wives and training pastor's wives. Uh, we were together at Southeastern for, gosh, almost 19 years. And uh, together we have two sets of twins. We have an older set of twins that's 12 years old. Nathan and Natalie, and then we have a younger set of twins, Samuel and Samantha. They're nine years old, and uh, it's a fun family. Wouldn't do it any other way in the world. We didn't mean to have two sets of twins, but that's just what the Lord did, and so we were surprised both times. Uh, little boys love the Cubs, and the girls love to dance and to draw and do art and all those types of things, so uh, they all play piano and lots of fun. Um, I've been in ministry for, well, golly, how long have I been a pastor, or how long have I been a Christian now? Uh, 24 years, I think it is. I've been uh, uh, been a Christian. I uh, grew up in North Carolina. I'm a North Carolina boy. Uh, my background, I was born in a little small rural part of North Carolina uh, called Rayford, North Carolina. Uh, there's nothing there, really, other than tobacco fields and pig farms and things like that. My, my family, very blue-collar family, my dad was a tobacco farmer. His dad was a tobacco farmer. And uh, when I was a little boy, he moved to Statesville, North Carolina, because he got a job in a furniture store and uh, moved us there to manage one of those furniture stores. And I grew up in Statesville, which is right above Charlotte. And uh, long story short, they split up. My parents split up when I was about seven years old. And it absolutely rocked my world and broke me. Uh, by the time I'm in middle school and high school, I'm into pretty much everything wrong that a kid could get into. I'm drinking, 
smoking pot, uh, fooling around with girls, doing all sorts of things. And by the time I was in high school, I was drunk or high quite often going into school. And uh, really, uh, I failed second grade because I couldn't read. I failed third grade because I still couldn't read and um, really struggled academically all the way up through. So by the time I got to high school, the drugs and the alcohol, that was really the thing to do. I got arrested twice when I was a junior in high school and immediately knew the second arrest. I knew that if I didn't change something immediately, I'd be dead or in jail soon. So I called my dad, who now lived in Raleigh. He left when I was seven, moved to Raleigh, which is about two and a half, three hours away. I uh, told him to come pick me up. I was going to live with him, and the Lord started a process. I was not seeking God. I was not seeking not really anything. I was trying everything I could to run from that, uh, but I was also at the same time very broken, and I knew something needed to help. So the Lord started a process of about eight or nine months of just whittling me down and humbling me and breaking me uh, until the point where June 16, 1995, of all the places in the world for a philosopher to get saved, I got saved at a centrifuge youth camp in Panama City, Florida, wow. June 16, 1995. And I knew that night uh, when I came to Christ, I'd heard the gospel hundreds of times, but I had never really heard it. I mean, it was, it was as though that night the Lord gave me eyes to see and ears to hear. And when I came to faith in Christ, it was much more than just simply, I understand salvation. And that made sense. It was now everything made sense. My life made sense. Existence made exi made sense. Everything made sense. And I knew that night, the night I came to faith, that I would spend the rest of my life serving Christ. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, you know, I didn't know any. I didn't know the jargon or the terms. I didn't know about callings and stuff like that. But I knew that I wanted to give every drop of my existence from that point forward to to loving Christ and serving Christ and proclaiming Christ and letting others know what I had just experienced in him. And uh, so I knew that night, really. And over time, God used the body of Christ. God used the church. He used mentors in my life to really sort of help me see where my giftings were. And, uh, you know, the surprising thing was for a kid who had failed two grades and graduated high school with a 1.6 GPA, God was now calling me to, you know, to ministry, which meant seminary, which was a real problem because I had no plans on going to college. I wanted to be either... I don't know, something like an auto mechanic, or I wanted to go in the military, not that there's anything wrong with those things. That's what I thought I'd do with my life. And then all of a sudden now I come to faith and I knew I was going to serve him. And so that meant going to seminary at one point, which meant I now had to go to college. And I uh, went from a 1.6 GPA in high school to now I'm going to college. And all, all I know, how, the only way I know how to say it is that the Lord showed up with me in those moments. And all of a sudden, academically, I came alive. And uh, finished college, Coal Falls College down in Georgia. Uh, came to Southeastern in 2000 to do my MDiv, stayed through a PhD. Started teaching and pastoring there at the same time in, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Pastored all total for about 10 years. Uh, eight and a half of those years was at Stony Hill Baptist Church there in Wake Forest, serving a little small country rural church. Um, you know, nothing big and braggadocious at all. And uh, God also gave me opportunity to start teaching at Southeastern philosophy and apologetics and history of ideas. And uh, I don't know, over time it just sort of evolved. And next thing I know, 2012, I stepped down from my pastorate. I become the dean of the college at Southeastern, where unbeknownst to me, I was being prepared and trained uh, by God and the, the team there at Southeastern for what I'm doing now. And I'm shocked out of my mind, flabbergasted, frankly, that God has put me in the seat that I'm in right now. 
uh, didn't know this was coming, didn't particularly want to do anything like this. Uh, I really thought I'd be just an academic and teach philosophy and do intellectual history and serve the church in those ways. Um, but uh, the Lord has brought this about in a very unique way. Um, I wasn't, to, I don't know how much of this I should share, but I, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't particularly seek this opportunity, but um, somehow I got on the committee's radar and they reached out to me very kindly. I felt that I owed it to the Lord and to the body of Christ to at least fill out the questionnaire. And the next thing you know, I'm in an interview. And uh, next thing I know after that, uh, the Lord is moving the committee in my direction. And the Lord is also simultaneously moving my heart in that direction. And uh, so here we sit, you know, this is my first week on the job, frankly. Wow, um, wow. I've been commuting down back and forth for the last couple of weeks, but I'm here this week beginning the work in earnest and just humbled and excited uh, and desperate for the Lord to show up with us to do a great work here. Wow. And, and I wish I got to know that, that story before my sermon this, uh, this Sunday, because I was stuck using the Apostle Paul as the example. Uh, and uh, I was, we're, we're making our way through, through 1 Timothy, and, uh, and I, I, I kind of made an illustration out of, out of thin, thin air as I'm going through, which yeah. is usually scary for me. Like that's one yeah, reason yeah. that I manuscript, but just something was on my heart. And, and I just pictured yeah. the Apostle Paul uh, as he's, you know, getting uh, getting called to be an apostle or whatever, as yeah. going yeah. into an interview, and he's like sitting there, and and he's maybe thinking about his past, and then he sees mm -hmm. another guy next to him that maybe he's going to church, he's, you know, reading the Jesus Storybook Bible with his kids, all this kind of stuff, and he realizes yeah. realizes this realizes he is completely unqualified. I've been listening to a stuttering. I think today no. that might be what's wrong, uh, but uh, Drew Lynch or whatever. Yeah, yeah but, that, that's the problem. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I can't I can't word good. But but anyway, he's there and he realizes that he's unqualified and in, in in so many ways and uh, yeah. in in the past and in all of that. And I shared that with our folks to share that we all have some kind of a past. Mine was in, in a sense the polar opposite of of yours. I was in church from two years all the way up. I was on the front row until I gave my life to Christ. I mm. didn't dabble with the alcohol, with tobacco, with girls, all of those kinds of things. I was I was a great kid, but lost. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, in, in all of us after that, all of us have the same same testimony as a picture of grace yeah. and uh, and what he was working through that and, and the things that you'll be able to speak into and, and all of those and and just your your testimony there is a powerful yeah. word of redemption and I hope that those that listened in can see that there's there's maybe a, a youth pastor listening in maybe yeah. that has that kid yeah. in his youth group that's you know smoking out back during the the youth time I, <laughs> I know I think Kyle mentioned that before with his his youth groups and and I've had that I've had the youth that maybe have slept around and, and got pregnant and and they we we tend to doubt that God can still use them because of the mistakes that they have made uh, but yeah. but God has clearly uh, used you and we're glad to see even even though Kyle's a cowboy fan to see you in the <laughs> the, the jerseys or whatever I think he That's twitched right. yeah. a little bit yeah. but uh, but we're glad to see you there in just a powerful picture of grace and uh, yeah. so I hope those that listened in really heard uh, that God can turn everything around and uh, and put you right where he wants you to be and so that's a powerful Amen. reminder Amen. Yeah. and you know a metaphor a passage of scripture that's become 
a bit of a just a, a paradigm for understanding my life and what the kinds of things that God does. You know, First Corinthians chapter one, the Apostle yeah. Paul says that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Yeah. He's chosen the 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 weak things of the world to bring to nothing the things that are. And and you know, I, I have no way of making sense out of my life, and frankly, many of our lives. Yeah. Aside from that truth right there that God has chosen these little things, these insignificant things, these weak things, broken things even, uh, foolish things, and he's done all that so that when it's all said and done, nobody's remembering our names but his. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I take comfort and shelter in that idea, you know. So yeah. it's not on me. It's uh, my job and your job and all of our jobs is not to win. Our job is not to succeed. Our job is not to establish or build per se. I mean, sure, God will do those things through us. Our job is simply to be faithful. That's yeah. it. And um, and I think that's a task we all can really boil it down to and do uh, yeah. with with Christ's help. So yeah. Anyway, and I, I appreciated you sharing about centrifuge uh, mm-hmm. because I that centrifuge is where I surrendered to the ministry in the summer yeah. of '99 in at Glorietta. So yeah. um, it, it's yeah. cool to see you know a couple of Southern Baptist kids that that centrifuge had a uh, had an impact on. Absolutely. You know, I so, think I've heard Nathan awesome. Finn talk about this too. Nathan Finn, God used camps like that in his life too. Yeah. And I mean, look, when I got saved, it was everything that we pick on about youth camp. Everything. <laughs> I mean, the hype and the lights and the silly games and the stupid things. It was all that foolish stuff. And yeah. God used it in a very real and powerful way in my life. So I think we should remember, look, God, God calls people to take up trumpets and walk around walls and blow that's them. True. Yeah. And yep, that's right. I, I so, think what I heard Dr. Dew say there is that if you would just get you a real degree, <laughs> you, you could be like him and oh, Dr. Okay. Finn. Oh, okay. Both, both <laughs> of y'all have that, that testimony of centrifuge as a key part of your life. What is yeah. missing is they both have real Degrees. Oh, I, I thought what you were going to say is we were missing the smoke and the. Uh, the oh yeah, that's for the, well, that's yeah. what your church is missing. You need a fog that's, machine. That's it. We that's use right. that up on the top of the mountain. Yeah, that's right. Ours is just fog, literal um, fog. Well, well Doctor Do, I know you said that that uh, this is your first real week on the ground there, yeah. and, and so I mean, so do you so consider we- this a success yet? <laughs> I haven't been struck by lightning. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so uh, we appreciate even more. I mean, just the fact that you, you took the time this week to, to come in and yeah. spend a little bit of time with us. Um, it, share with us just a little bit about what your vision is to um, to see God do at New Orleans during your time yeah. there. You know, I think vision, when we talk about vision, we often think about a guy coming in, um, hey, what's your vision to do these things? And I, I think in some ways... While understandable, those types of expectations are a bit premature. I think a healthy vision for any institution requires you to have some boots on the ground for a season to learn the nuance and the details and to take stock and inventory and to really get a sense of the current ethos. Because in general, what what I think we do when we do it well is that we wed our own DNA with a DNA that's already there. And so that all that to say, that's still evolving a bit. I can speak more directly to the kind of ethos I want to develop here and the kind of people I want us to be uh, at this point and still letting big picture stuff evolve and breathe a little bit and letting my team here, which, by the way, I'm very impressed with our team here. Let them speak into that with me and form a good team there. Um, so the kind of things I want us to be and the kind of ethos I want us to have here. I can speak to three things, and I said this on the convention floor uh, at the SBC. Uh, first and foremost, 
I want to kill peacocks. Uh, and that's a that's a metaphor there. So I mean, think about in our worst version of ourselves, as as well. We're not just Southern Baptists, but as as human beings, we like the peacock. We spread our feathers big, and we make ourselves look bigger than we are. We puff up and we strut around, and you know we try to impress. Uh, and I think that is antithetical to what Christ has called every last one of us to be. If we are anything as followers of Christ, we are servants. You know, Christ said, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And he calls us to um, take up our cross and follow after him and to do the same thing. And so I want, that's what I mean when I say I want to kill the peacock. I want to train, a, I'm passionate to train up a generation of people that have a disposition of servanthood. That's the kind of student that I want to come to New Orleans and that's the kind of student that I want to send out from New Orleans. People that really don't give a rip about building their own brand or their own platforms that are not deeply motivated to be the guy, so to speak. We, we got enough people right now trying to quote unquote be the guy. We don't need any more of those. What we need are, what we need are more towels and basins in our, yeah. in our ecosystem right now. We need servants. And we need people that are going to go out and serve the church and serve the nation and serve the broken and serve the lost and serve the marginalized. That's what we've got to have right now. Oh, by the way, that's exactly what Christ has called us to be. Yeah, so right. I, want a, I want this family here at New Orleans to be a family of servants. And if you know people don't know our names, well, then we've just joined eternity quicker, that's all. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't care how popular or famous or big your name may be, we will all be forgotten one day. Mm -hmm. This world will forget our names. Our own families, for that matter, will forget our names. You go about four or five generations after we die, no, your old family doesn't remember your name. I mean, none of us in this podcast right now could ever tell you who the 17th president of the United States was. And at that moment in history, he was the most powerful, most popular person in the country, perhaps. Yeah. So servanthood is what I want, number one. Number two, gospel proclamation. This is a part of New Orleans' legacy that I think we need to preserve and to maintain and to cultivate more. Chuck Kelly, my, my predecessor, uh, beat the drum for evangelism. And I have no interest in getting into fights over the why, of why we're not as evangelistic as we used to be. Is it Calvinism? Is it not Calvinism? Eh, I don't think that's a helpful discussion. I think we could all grant that we just are not as evangelistic as we once were, even maybe 15, 20 years ago. That's got to get picked back up again by Southern Baptists. We've got to beat that drum. I'm grateful to God for my predecessor who did that well. I want to continue doing that. And having said that, I do think it's important to think about contextualizing the gospel in our current ecosystem. You know, if I was going to be a, ch a missionary to China right now, or if you were going to go to Japan or South America, we would all pay very acute attention to the cultural context we're going into, the, the no-nos, so to speak, and, and the, the, the things that are very persuasive. And we would do those things well. I think we've got to do that for our own culture. And I want to increase the footprint here at New Orleans uh, for just global missions as well, under that umbrella of just gospel proclamation. So number one, servanthood. Number two, gospel proclamation. Number three, uh, to do all of what I just said requires a, a genuine spiritual fervor. We need revival. You know, I think uh, Southern Baptists are great activists. Southern Baptists are great at, you know, being active and pushing and progressing things. 
I don't know that we're the most spiritual people in the world. And when we think about the mission in front of us, not any one of us, our mission, but all of us together, collectively, our mission, my goodness gracious, if we're going to do this, it takes the Holy Spirit showing up with us every single day in every single thing we do, which means we need to be a people walking on our knees and with our nose in the rug and, and praying desperately. I can tell you this role this whole process of me coming into this role has forced me to my knees in a way that I probably haven't prayed <laughs> since the early days of my faith. But um, this job is bigger than me, and your jobs as pastors is bigger than you. And we we dare not forget that, you know. So what that means is this needs to be a place of spiritual fervor where we as a community and as a family are begging God every single day to show up with us and to meet with us and to renew us and restore us and because if he does not show up with us in our work, we're hosed. And um, so those are the three types of things I want to just, I want to see that become the ethos of this school. Um, now, in terms of some strategic things of what we're going to try to do to go after what God's called us to do here, I've laid out four pretty straightforward tasks that I think as a leadership team here at New Orleans, we've got to go after in the coming years. Uh, but immediately, right now, number one, Level College needs a much bigger footprint than it's had. And we're going to go after Level College really hard. That doesn't mean we're going to abandon the charter, what we're called to do. Uh, but we're going to go after training men and women uh, to serve Christ and to serve our churches aggressively. We're going to expand our degree programs there to that end. We'll go after a different marketing strategy and recruiting strategy to that end. So number one, Level College in terms of strategy. Number two, in terms of strategy, enrollment broadly that's not a super you know fancy shiny type of objective no. but uh we've, we've got work to do to enhance our enrollment here and by enrollment i don't just mean admissions i mean we need people to actually complete their degrees as all the southern Baptist seminaries do we don't help the mission of christ if people come and dabble in seminary and then peter out a couple semesters we need people to finish their programs so that they're equipped and they can get out there and really, you know, have opportunities to serve Christ. So enrollment strategy. Thirdly, marketing and communications. We've got some work to do there. And then denominational relationships. I want to meet the pastors. I want to I want to spend time with them. I want to hear from them. How can we serve you? What what do you need in your churches? You know, so seminary education, when done well, is a constant, I think, a constant back and forth communication between the seminaries and the local churches so that we actually hear from them what do you need and develop programs and uh, degree programs that, that will serve those purposes. So that's yeah. big picture. I've said two things, really. Ethos, three big things, servanthood, gospel proclamation, uh, and spiritual fervency. And then in terms of strategy, level college, enrollment, uh, marketing communications, and then also denominational relationships. That's what we're going to work really hard on here yeah. in the coming years and months. And all of that sounds very serious. Very fun, though. Yeah, very, very <laughs> serious and very it. fun. It, it's, it's, it gets me excited. Very, very much so. And we, we pray God's blessing for, for that. Uh, but if there are still people out there uh, that are trying to make up their, their mind on this, this do guy, maybe they don't yeah. know who he is. One of our mm -hmm. favorite questions to ask of the, uh, uh, the different seminary presidents or mm -hmm. entity heads is, is their most embarrassing moment in the pulpit and uh and so i would love to hear i know you pastored for a while and and you've uh, certainly been been preaching at different times since yeah. uh but uh we've we've had some doozies i don't quite know if if you're going to be able to uh outdo them 
Uh, yeah. Out do. Come on, man. I was hoping you caught that. I'm, I'm sure you've never heard that one before. Never. Uh, never but uh, never but we would no, love to. Do not group. <laughs> we we would love to hear uh, your your favorite uh, most embarrassing moment in the pulpit. Well, if I told you my most embarrassing one, it, I got in massive trouble with my wife. I'll just say this. <laughs> I. I'll tell you one, but I can't tell you the big one because when I told you the big one, I got in serious trouble with my wife. And I, if I told you now, I would get in serious trouble again because it would uh, she would not be happy. Okay, with you we'll give you a pass on that one then. <laughs> so, but the happy one, wife, that, happy life. One I can tell you is still related to her. I we used to have this thing when I was pastor at Stony Hill where in August we did what was called union services. And union services were where in, in the month of August, four little churches right around, sort of sister churches in the town I pastored in, we would take our Sunday evenings and we would rotate which church we met in and which preacher, we'd switch preachers and we would, but we would, all four churches would meet together all four Sunday nights and we would just rotate which church we were in and who was preaching that night. So I'm preaching in front of four churches and I inadvertently announced to all four churches at one time that Tara and I had started trying to have children, which, you know, obviously it was a reference to our, our intimacy and all those things. And my wife looked up at me like she was going to kill me. And the whole place came unglued laughing at me. And I just had to stop what I was doing and, Pretty much the sermon was over. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's so, no recovering from that, I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. And, but the funny thing was the next year, which is when I really stuck my foot in my mouth and the one I didn't tell you, uh, the next year when we came back to that union service, we had had our first set of twins. And all I did is I just held the babies up and I said, told you. <laughs> so uh, anyway, That's and great. then I got in trouble again anyway that night. That's so. great. Yeah, man. Well, now, I, I do have a question. I, I believe okay. uh, you are probably the only current uh, entity head who comes from a tobacco farming family. Is that accurate? Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I would assume the others do not, but I did grow up uh, in a family of tobacco farmers. That's right. Now, when I was, just to be clear, I don't, I don't want to misrepresent it. It's not like when I was a kid, I remember going out in the field working tobacco farms or anything else. Right, like right, that. right, right. That was the, that's my, those are my roots. I come from a very blue collar family. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So. Well, we uh, we it, it, it kind of feels awkward to share that our sponsorship is uh, <laughs> with Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. But one of the reasons you know, I've heard of that school, I really I, it's it, it's kind of to I, I can't remember if it's to your east or the west, but it, it's somewhere out there. No, but we we are grateful for our partnership with them, and and one of the reasons that we have this podcast is not just to encourage pastors, but also to let pastors know what God is doing uh, all over the country, either yeah. with other pastors yeah. or other seminary heads. And, and, uh, and, and though I'm sure there's some friendly uh, competition between seminaries, at the end of the day, we're all chasing after the same goal, yeah. and that Amen. is to train up men and women to advance the kingdom. And so we're glad uh, that New Orleans is faithfully grounded in the Word of God, faithful to evangelize, 
is out there killing literal and figurative peacocks. And uh, I'm just kidding. I made up that former. But uh, but we are glad for Southwestern's partnership with this podcast to make this possible. And uh, if you want a, a seminary that uh, loves peacocks and doesn't want to harm them and, and maybe has some on campus, then we would encourage you to check out Fort Worth, the, uh, the dome uh, that is known all around the globe. Uh, no, but check out swibbits.edu. And uh, for more information about New Orleans, they can visit nobts.edu as well. Correct. And, uh, yep. and I was trying to bring up your, uh, your Twitter account uh, where they can see the, uh, the Do Crew uh, in <laughs> their That's right. Saints attire, but that would be at Jamie K. Do on Twitter. And uh, you can uh, reach out to him and learn more about what God is up to there in New Orleans. Be praying for him. Uh, because God is going to do a number on the school and also his waistline with all of the uh, beignets and, and all that good <laughs> stuff true. out there. Uh, but uh, we thank you for tuning in. Uh, we're grateful for the time we had with Dr. Dew and encourage you to check out uh, notanotherbaptistpodcast.com uh, or visit us on Twitter at nab underscore podcast or on Facebook. We were super creative with this one, Not Another Baptist Podcast. Yeah. Uh, all one word, uh, so it's not another method. Uh, and uh, at this time, it's time to jump off the train wreck, so send us out, Kyle. Well, until next time, may your coffee, and I guess in Dr. D's case at Cafe Du Monde, be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Thank D. You, Appreciate Dr. it.